once we end up going to war, we were losing so many people and so much um, injuries and PTSD and everything that started to build up so much. Welcome to another episode of No Ops Podcast, your podcast where opposition may be the topic, but the resolution is the focus. I am your host, Naisha D, and alongside of me is my guy, Elijah James Jr. Well, with all of that being said, welcome back to the show, LeBron. <laughs> um, it was great to actually have you on, what was that, season three with, uh, who was Eddie, right? Yeah, yep. round yeah. two. Yeah, that was good. Um, a lot of things you said sparked a lot of emotions. Um, so I think that it's best to have you on so we can get a better understanding of who you are. Um before we go a little deeper on your thoughts from past episodes or future episodes. Um, so if you don't mind, can you introduce yourself? Uh, Andre LeBron. From where? Where are you from? Born and raised in the Bronx until uh, I was 16. Then I moved to Irvington, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And I currently reside in Union. Okay. Um, tell me about the dynamics of your home growing up. Was it, well, you said you're from Irvington, so... That's not really affluent neighborhood. Uh, you have your mom and dad in the house. Any siblings? No. So dad passed away when I was 11 in the Bronx. Okay. And then um, pretty much a single mom for the, for the most part. Um, the Bronx was uh, literally 50% black and 50% um, Puerto Rican. I even, I'm not even going to say Hispanic. Hispanic. It was uh-huh. like straight Puerto Rican and black. Um, mm-hmm. The entire neighborhood was. Um, so moving to Irvington in 96 and starting uh, my second high school at the time, I think I was one of five Spanish families. In, in Irvington? Enti- in, yeah, like in Irvington. Uh-huh. Um, so it's a little adjusting. Right. Well, how, what grade were you in when you entered into Irvington? My second, ninth grade. Okay. Okay. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. Um mm-hmm. You have any siblings? <laughs> I do. Um, I am the baby of seven with wow. one sister who uh, passed away. Okay. How was that, The being the baby of seven children? Did you get any attention? Did you get all the attention? Got my ass whooped regularly. By all of your siblings, including mom? Uh, not, really my, nah, not really my siblings. Mostly okay. just mom and dad. Okay. Was... Who was the disciplinary, mom or dad? Uh, both. Really? Yeah. <laughs> they didn't take no shit? No. No? No. They, they would have went to jail if it was this uh, time and age. For real? <laughs> like jail. Like Yeah, like most of our parents. Like, no, no, no. Like aggravated assault, possession <laughs> of a weapon. They would have been under the cell. Was that just for you or was that for everyone in the family? Uh, I, think, uh, I think they've practiced... Along the years mm-hmm. on my siblings, and they just like perfected the craft when it got to me. Oh, okay. So they just knew. So they were masters at oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, let me ask you a question. You said um, you were the youngest of seven. Um, how, like, the age difference, like, how much older was your next sibling than you? So I'm currently 38. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'll be 39 in July. Me and my sister are Irish twins. Oh, 11 oh, okay. months? 
Nine months apart. Nine months. Yeah, okay. dad ain't even let her heal up. Yikes. Yeah. So <laughs> savage. So that's the next one. Um, then after her was my sister, um, Annie, who passed away on um back in 2011. Um, she was or would have been right now, let me see if I'm 38. Annie would have probably been about, give or take, 40. Five, okay. somewhere around there. Okay. Okay. Um, and then after her is my other sister, Sandra, who is about probably about forty nine ish. Okay. And then my brother, uh, Bud, he's probably about early fifties. And then Wanda and John, who are like, again, probably like. 53 to 5, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, Same mom, same dad? No. Oh, okay. Okay. But, but we all grew up together in the same house. Okay. With mom. Okay. Um, Yikes. So 38, and you said 55. Oh, I was an accident. Like, complete accident. Mom had me at 41 while... Crossing the stage at Lehman College with her bachelor's. Like, I, I was like a complete mistake. Oh. Yeah, so here I am. And I was premature, too. That's funny. By how many months? Because I'm, I'm, I'm 6'1", yeah, you know, I'm 6'1", 211 They normally pounds. say that. They right. normally say premature. And uh, when I was born, I weighed two and a half pounds. Wow. So did my sister. Like, my mom. So uh, you weren't a mistake. You were a miracle. Oh, well, you would call it that, too. Um, My mom used to keep me in a shoebox. Mm-hmm. Literally. Like literally in a shoebox. And then mm-hmm. from there, went to a, a dresser drawer. <laughs> and then uh, finally, I was big enough to get into like normal things. Because I guess the way she explained it, you know, everything was like too dangerous. Because I was just so small. and That is very interesting. I was in a drawer as well. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I was in a drawer until my grandfather came and got my mother a crib. Oh, I see. And then I moved on later on. Draw babies. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I don't have that story. <laughs> oh, yeah. So bring us to the Bronx. How was that? Oh, man, let me tell you. Yeah, tell us. I probably had Keep the like best drums. childhood a kid could ever want. And it was a poor childhood. Mm-hmm. It was a, you know, seeing mom work Every day, long hours, multiple jobs. Mm -hmm. But the childhood aspect in itself was amazing. And the most amazing part about it is that nothing was materialistic for me because I didn't own my first pair of name brand sneakers until I was 11. Okay. Um, And even for those particular sneakers, I had to go pack bags at Seatown because they were $100. They were the um, Shaq's. And uh, they were black with blue. Um, I still got at, those. And, and at that time, they had a uh, a removable sock insert, which they didn't recreate. Yeah, no, they didn't. But um, I wanted the sneakers. My dad was like, I'm not paying $100 for no sneakers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I convinced him, what if, you know, I came up with half. Him and my mom said, yeah, I started packing bags. And then I went and I got my first pair of name brand sneakers, which I absolutely own right now to this day. <laughs> Not that, so. not that pair, but I went and I bought it when it came out. Right. Uh-huh. Excuse me. I went and I bought it again just because of that. Right. That connection. But um, childhood was amazing, man. I mean, I literally remember going on what we used to call adventures. Mm-hmm. 
And we used to go through uh, parks and, and, and over by the beaches and, and just anywhere. Like you, you, when you think of a childhood back in the day, like The Sandlot, that was like one of all-time mm-hmm. favorite movie. And that's what it was. We would always go play baseball, football, basketball, manhunt. And it was just, it was nothing but playing. Like come home from school, do your homework, boom, you outside, you're playing mm-hmm. till the light go off, mm-hmm. get your butt in the house. Mm-hmm. And it was like every day, every day, every day, every day. With like no cares in the world. I mean, it was my childhood was amazing. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And you said you moved to Irvington at what age? Uh, sixteen. Okay, so you were in the Bronx from birth to sixteen. Yep. Right. Um, but you also stated your dad passed away at eleven. Was that mm-hmm. a hard blow for you? Yeah, it was actually uh two days before my twelfth birthday mm-hmm. that uh he passed away. It was crazy. I mean, you know, obviously I remember that day. Um. Vividly. Um, mm-hmm. Him and mom, though, that year, him and mom separated. Okay. So he had moved to Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. And uh, which that was, you know, in itself devastating to me because I was absolutely, you know, um, a dad's boy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, now I'm the biggest, you know, uh, mama's boy, but I was always a dad's boy. You know, he was a superintendent from the building that we lived in. Mm-hmm. So it was like I was always with him, right. you know, working and he's showing me stuff and, you know, like normal father-son stuff. Um, so, yeah, that that was my first uh, experience with something like that. And it was, uh, it was pretty devastating. Um, I, I, li- I literally remember coming home, had an orange sherbet ice cream and I'm eating it and I walk in the house and everyone's got this look on their face and mom's crying. And I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? And then, you know, my, when my sister finally told me, she like, you know, Poppy passed away. You know, I, I remember throwing it on the floor and just running out the door. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I could, like, compare it to was, like, Forrest Gump. Like, I literally ran and kept running and kept running. And I ended up blocks away, like, blocks and blocks and blocks. Like, I ran till I just couldn't run no more. And being 11 years old, I probably weighed, like, 80 pounds. I ran for a long <laughs> time. But, um, yeah, and then, you know, the— the dreams and everything else after that and, the, you know, crying and all that other stuff. But mm-hmm. so, yeah, at 11, that was my first His passing was, was a sudden thing? Like it, he wasn't sick or... Yeah, so so dad, so, so dad by, by, we'll say the standards of America, dad was an alcoholic. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, he would knock down a six-pack after work like it was nothing. Mm. Um, so and that, and he was a chain smoker. So now dad, let me, let me say this, dad was much older than mom. And, and mom, mom yeah. right now is mm-hmm. 79, about to be 80. Wow. So, That's beautiful. Right. Sure. So so dad, um, when he passed away, was already in his 60s, which is, you know, still young. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with the chain smoking and then the uh, the alcohol, he did die from a Cirrhosis heart attack. A, okay. A heart attack, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and then uh, to make the story even, <laughs> even crazier, so I got seven siblings that— um, we, you know, like none of us, we we don't do half. Brothers, right. half. We don't right. Brothers, we're we're right. seven right. brothers right. and sisters. Yeah. Right. But my father also had children. Okay. So like I literally had nieces and nephew who were like 10 years older than me. Mm-hmm. And so my brothers on his side, he didn't have any daughters. My brothers on his side, you know, um, I was only close with one of them. Um, and he had the same name as my father, Benjamin LeBron. And we used to call him Benny Jr. And he was—he was a Vietnam vet, and he passed away a week after my dad from the same thing. 
And he was like a spitting image of my dad. He was a super as well um, across town in the Bronx. Right. And you said a week later? A week later. He passed away from heart attack. And that was the brother that you were the closest to? Um, Yeah. At that time, yeah. Mm. Yep. So that that one was kind of crazy. How did that trauma um, affect you in school? Well, I was always the class clown. Like, mm-hmm. I was always in trouble in school. Always. Always, always, <laughs> always. Like, um, either fighting or just being disruptive. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, look, I mean, I was just always in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only thing that kind of saved me was that I wasn't, you know, I, and I ain't going to say a dumb child, but I wasn't uh, challenged as mm-hmm. far as the schoolwork. Mm-hmm. So I never really had an issue besides my behavior. But um, it didn't really, it didn't really affect nothing. I mean, uh, I didn't, you know, I wasn't looking for a... Uh, or outcry or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It had no effect. That's very interesting. So um, you left the Bronx at 16. You moved to Irvington, New Jersey. Uh, you graduated from the high school in Irvington. Um, what did you do at the high school? I was a stud at the high school. Oh, okay. And then what else? What is what is what is a stud? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> what is a stud? Nah, so um, high, let me see. High school, man. Again, high school was amazing, um, and and you know I, I have such a hard time when I when I see kids nowadays. They don't want to go to school. They hate school, and I'm like, how? Like like school was so amazing. I can't wait to get to school. <laughs> it was so amazing. I'm sure your and, mother and, couldn't wait for you to get to school either. Right. Well, well, ass. I mean, I was in school. Li- literally, I was in school. Um, Every morning mm-hmm. um, around 7.30. School didn't start till I think like 8, 8.30. But I was always in school early. And then, you know, with wrestling or JROTC, um, I was in school till like 7 p.m. Like I was putting in a whole hours. shift. Right. Wow. Yeah. Like all the time. All the time. For your all four years? Yeah. Because I started wrestling uh, freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was funny because when I got into the school. So, so let me backtrack a little bit. So. 95, I go to Alfred E. Smith High School in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Um, I get to school. By then, my sister um, had just dropped out of high school. She went to Taft, and she just dropped out. She started smoking, started drinking. She was like, whatever. Now, I started kind of following in those footsteps. Not so much on the smoking aspect, but just not, not even the drinking act, but I, just, I didn't even want to deal with school. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to, to Smith, um, they literally gave us a bus pass and a train pass. Mm-hmm. And at 12 o'clock, you got to leave for lunch mm-hmm. and go wherever you wanted and then just come back in right. an hour. Right. Okay. Never came back. So This is daily. Daily. Monday through Friday. So you I, were school, I, I literally eight, would eight go to, to school. That's it. 8 to 12. Go to school. 12 o'clock, I'm out. We, me, me and whoever. We going to girls' schools and like- How just, old are you at this time? 15. Okay. Okay. So it was just like- Yo, let's go with St. Mary's and we we out. Mm-hmm. Um, so mom saw that and was like, no, I've already got a headache with BB. That's my sister Beatrice. I'm not gonna do this with you too. Mm-hmm. So she was like, we're moving. So at the time, she started to date um this guy, Cheito. She started to date him, and he lived in Irvington. Mm. But he had family in the Bronx because he mm-hmm. was from the Bronx. Mm-hmm. 
that's what I tell you, it's crazy. We, we talk about all the time. Everything comes through Everton. Right. But, um, no matter what. Camp Town, right? But um, so she moved us with him mm-hmm. into Everton. Mm-hmm. Now, if anybody knows Irvington, <laughs> out of all the places in New Jersey, I end up in Irvington, right? Mm-hmm. But of all the places in Irvington, I end up on 21st Street and Springfield <laughs> Avenue. The That's like the borderline of Newark. That is like, like right now, right, right at this very moment, it's probably crazy over there right now. Mm-hmm. And here's this Spanish family. Bloop, let's just plug them right in. And um, so, so that was mom's like ultimate sacrifice. She was like, you know what? I'm not going to let you go down the same path. Now, you know, you fast forward. My sister uh, ended up graduating Valley Victorian for uh, nice. High School. Um, she went to the night program at that time. Nice. Uh, she graduated Valley Victorian. She's doing big things. She's a politician in New York. But we'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was my uh, culture shock was coming to Jersey, right? And, again, I grew up, like, literally everyone was either black or Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a thing to us. Mm-hmm. Like, we didn't see nothing. We just, yo, that's right. my bro, that's my bro, whatever. And then coming to Jersey and having people call me Poppy, and I'm like, fuck you talking to? Mm-hmm. Like, I like I was, like, that was offensive to me. Mm-hmm. Like, who the fuck you talking to? <laughs> but, um, you know, it was just, it was, it was, it was a different culture right. from the Bronx. Which is a culture shock. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Your mother, how... How did the um? How did she support you guys? Like, was she working at the time in the Bronx, or did she transfer her job to Jersey? Like, so, mom, um, when we were in the Bronx, mom um, worked at the Bronx Zoo for many years, hmm. and then she was a chef um, inside the Empire State Building. Um, so what? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 those were good times. I used to uh, like uh, leave from there, and, uh, and it, it, it's crazy, right? So, like, my first train ride by myself, I was nine years old, right? Every New Yorker um, yeah, is pretty much I was much like nine like years old. Yeah. And we used to take the train to school. And I literally jumped on the train and the doors closed and my sisters were behind me. You got on the wrong train? No, I got on the right train, but I was, we, we was running to the train. I got there and jumped on. They didn't make it. So okay. now I'm on a train nine years old. Not I'm knowing. bawling tears because now I'm, I'm going on the train. So I had to like tell myself, all right, you got this. And I literally waited to my stop. I got off, went right to school. They're going Ape shit. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, we can't call mom. Oh my God. Oh my God. So now they finally break down because now they can't find me. And and you know, back then it wasn't like you had a million cell phones. Mm-hmm. So so now they're literally on pay phones. And they got the cops involved, the whole nine yards, and then the whole time I was in school, in class. So, so nobody thought to check the school first. No. Mm-hmm. No. Cause I mean, I, they, I guess they didn't give me enough credit. But um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, so then mom. She came, when, when she came over here, she took a job back in 96 um, as a substitute teacher. Okay. Um, so she took a job as a substitute teacher. She did that for a little while. Then I convinced her. Um, I'm like, Ma, you know, you got a bachelor's degree in education. You might as well take your teacher's exam. Now, mind you, Mom, at that point in time, you know, she's already, I want to say, 50s, close to 60, somewhere around there. I don't know. Wow. Yeah, probably, yeah, yeah, about 50, 60, somewhere around there. And um, she, you know, she went for it and she passed. But then when she started to go get the teacher's certificate and all this other stuff, New Jersey basically told her, well, you need to go take, I think, one or two classes because they, they required something different than New York. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And mom, you know, at 50-something, almost 60 years old, she was like, I'm not going back to school. And, you know, so what ended up happening was they, um, in Irvington, because she was there for so long, they ended up creating a, uh, the first ever building, permanent building sub. So, you know, they, 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 they made her, like, they gave her um, a specific salary that they're going to pay her. Um, and so she would go to school Monday through Friday and she would take over whatever classes, some, some classes she stood for the whole year, like maternity leave classes and stuff like that. So, and she's still doing it right now. She's, she's at work right now. Wow. That's dope. So you said you took, um, you, you were in JRT, JROTC, JROTC. Yeah. I remember that. Suited up. Um, did that help you? In the long run in life? Yeah, it did. Um, so when when I got to the school, I guess mom had heard about this program. Mm-hmm. And so because of the fear that I was going to repeat what I was doing in the Bronx, mm-hmm. she made me enroll in it. Okay. And this is your first year, freshman year, as soon as you get there? As soon as I get there. I, I don't know one person in the entire state of New Jersey, let alone in Irvington. I don't know anybody. Okay. And um, she put me in the program, and uh, that for those for those people who don't know what that is, what what is the program? Was uh, so so JROTC uh, is a Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps. So it's basically like a junior army. Okay. So they you know they obviously they teach you discipline, um, they teach you rank structure, um, they teach you uh, history in regards to the United States. Gotcha. Um, you wear a uniform every Wednesday. You have leadership labs where they teach you drill and ceremony, how to march, Hmm. um, cadence, um, you know, how to properly wear um, a uniform. But it's also, it's like a a leadership course, you know. Um, They they build, um, you know, young women and young men. Um, They Hmm. put you in positions that you normally would not be in unless you were older or realistically unless you were older because, you know, here I am. You know, in ROTC, and you know, you start off obviously, you know, with no rank, but then as they introduce rank structure, at you know, when I left, I was the uh, cadet command sergeant major, and I was in charge of probably about a hundred different uh, cadets. Mm. So here I am, I'm only about to be 18 years old, right. and you know, I'm, I'm managing people, um, you know, I'm, I'm addressing people, uh, you know, I'm giving out tasks, you know, I'm reviewing work, right. But um, preparing for your future. Yeah, no, absolutely. But uh, it paid dividends, man. Um, that's where you know JROTC is where I met. Um, shout out to Yusuf Young. I met Yusuf, and uh, Yusuf was this other real skinny kid, just like me, like just lanky and skinny. And Yusuf was like, "Hey, man, you look like an athlete." He's like, "You should come wrestle." And I'm like, "Man, I'm not wrestling. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not getting. Bo- I remember the conversation. I'm like, I'm not getting body slammed on my neck. Oh, you think it's WWF wrestling? Well, well still, you well, still I, wrestling. I, I didn't know. He's like, no, no, no. You you fight people in your weight class. And I'm like, ah. And then I was like, you know what? Let me let me go check it out. And and so I went and I tried out for wrestling. And uh, it sucks because I ended up taking the varsity spot. Not his spot. Well. Yeah, it, we, we were in the same weight class. So, you know, you had to, I, I, I took the varsity spot as a freshman. Okay. And that, let me tell you something, that 96 team, uh, we went to the, to the States as a team. Um, I, I believe we took six, if I'm not mistaken. I got to double check. But um, we upset Livingston, which, I mean, they were a powerhouse. Uh-huh. 
And, uh, you know, that team was special. That 96 team was really special. Kyle Steele, who's the wrestling coach now, he was on that team. Uh, Dewan Goldsberry was on that team. I mean, Swint. I mean, we had some monsters on that team. And here I am as a freshman. I racked up 17 wins, which was pretty impressive. And never wrestled before. And ne- So I didn't wrestle, but in the Bronx, a part of um, gym in the Bronx, wrestling and gymnastics was a part of the curriculum. So you didn't really do it, but you, you like you got the basics taught to you gotcha. um, as a part of gym. Hmm. So I, I kind of knew a little bit, but not you know enough to be like, oh, I'm a killer. Right, right. But uh, you know, it was just I guess the com- the the competitor in me was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this, and I stuck with it, man. You know, I ended up being the captain. I won the districts. I won the counties. I was second in the region. I went to the states. Um, so I had a I had a real good uh, wrestling career. So. Wrestling, ROTC, you graduate high school. Um, what were you doing with yourself after you've... After, after, the, after the stud shit. Right, <laughs> right. So what, what, was su- what was supposed to um, have happened was I was supposed to get a wrestling scholarship to Montclair State University. Oh, wow. Okay. And then um, it fell through um, because my guidance counselor at the time um, just up and retired. And so her workload basically got divided amongst the other counselors who, you know, you know how urgent is. We understaffed, overworked. Right. So now whatever deadline was supposed to be met never got met because of that. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, while they still wanted me, I couldn't go down to scholarship. And obviously mom ain't got no money for college. Mm-hmm. So yeah. at that point I was like, all right, well, I'm going to join active duty and just get away. Okay. Uh, my brother um, did 31 years in the Marines. Oh, wow. So, you know, I, I got to see him every once in a blue moon, but I knew he was traveling all over the world. So I was like, you know what? Ain't nothing over here for me. Mm-hmm. I'm about to just be up and up and gone. And at the time, I was actually going through a uh, uh, a pretty bad breakup, <laughs> high school sweetheart. Um, so I was like, ain't nothing here for me. I'm out. Mm-hmm. Now, you're, so, now you're 18? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, well, I was 17. Okay. Um, at the time when I was signing the contract. Okay. And what ended up happening was, and which which armed forces was this? Army. Regular army. army regular army. Active duty. Okay. And uh what ended up happening was I mistakenly wrote my 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 social wrong, my last four. Uh-huh. I, I wrote um a six instead of a four in one of the numbers. Yeah. Um, because you didn't what know what 17-year-old really knows their social. You didn't know it. <laughs> so um all my paperwork was done with the, and I swore in and everything with the wrong social. And they literally caught it um, the day before I was supposed to ship out. And they was like, cause I, I was going to do a, what they call a, uh, a split option. So I, I signed up in junior year of high school. Okay. Right. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Senior year of high school. And I was going to do a split option program where right after high school, uh-huh. I just go for um, a couple months and then I get to come back and then go back again for basic. I mean, for AIT, I'm sorry. So you go for basic for a couple months, and then you come back, and then you go back for uh, AIT. Why do you come back? Like, what is what is the point of that? Well, so it's a it's a split option. Um, what do you call it? Uh, it's called a split option program. So you don't go during the school year. You you graduate high right, right. school. Yeah, you yeah. go. Well, no, for you basic. you get so you can do the split option program um, while you're in high school. You can do it while you're in high school. Okay. And that way, um, so during your summer months. You go bang out your your basic, and then you can come back. 
and then finish again. Yeah, and then finish it whenever, right. So mm-hmm. initially that, that was the goal. I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to do this. And then, so long story short, I couldn't go. And now- Because of the paperwork. Because of the paperwork. Okay. And then by the time they fixed the paperwork, I'm like, nah, this, is, this isn't going to work. So then I got introduced to the National Guard. And they're like, listen, they'll pay for your school. So I'm like, oh, okay. So now I can go, I can go to college. They're going to pay for it. I'm like, oh, this is great. So then that's what ended up happening. I ended up redoing all the paperwork. And then right after um, I left in, in May, May of 2000. Okay. So um, I'm sorry. That's my, I signed up in May of 2000. Um, and I shipped out right, right, literally right after graduation. A couple of weeks later, I was gone. And where did you go? Kentucky. Fort Knox. So from the Bronx, major city, mm-hmm. to Irvington, which is not a city, but small town, small town, <laughs> but major, but major city feel. Um, mm-hmm. And then you go to Kentucky. How was that? Kentucky was the first time in my life that I knew racism was still alive. Oh, it exists. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't know it that. Um, at that time. Uh, my my company, mm-hmm. which was uh, two platoons, made up my company at the time. Was uh, we had we luckily we had the only two black drill sergeants, Joe Sergeant Blunt and Joe Sergeant Little John, real cool dudes. And it was myself, a kid named OJ from Philly, and I want to say oh, Robles, who was Puerto Rican. And I forgot the young brother's name, but um, we literally, he was the only straight black dude. OJ was mixed. Robles was Puerto Rican. I'm Puerto Rican. And then um, my boy, he, he was just straight black. Everybody else was white. And so. How many how many people in the platoon, roughly? Like if you, uh, 50, 80? 30, 30, 30. 30. So it was 60. So it was two platoons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And out of the 60 people, it was one black guy, two Puerto Ricans, and one one mix, Puerto Rican yeah. black. Okay. Right. So now, um, and it's crazy because like I didn't even know. Excuse me. They they introduced all these different stories with drugs, like wild, wild stories. Uh, <laughs> this is the first time I ever heard about bloody wings. <laughs> I don't even know what bloody yeah, wings is. I don't is. even know what that is. That's when uh apparently you eat a girl out on her period. Oh yeah, my yeah. dad does bloody wings. Yeah. <laughs> what? Who? Oh, Who yeah, yeah. Has, my father. Oh, oh, yeah. oh. He, he talks about that like it's okay. not an issue. Yeah, so so I was completely shell-shocked oh. learning all these oh, wild shit. things, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this first time I ever seen somebody dip. Like, I've never seen nobody dip oh, ever in my life. With the uh, mm-hmm. tobacco? Yeah, with the tobacco. And, you know, these jokers are dipping and, um, you know, the stories. And then, you know, um, <laughs> I, had to, I, I did slap somebody in there. This tall white white kid, mm-hmm. and I'm slapping him. But um, it, it was weird because the drill sergeants, they they felt something, I guess, with me and with OJ. Okay. And to the point where they would call us into the uh, office, and then they would just kind of like just talk to us, like on some sidebar, like, "Look, y'all got to keep doing this. You got to do this." And it was it was like almost immediately that they they recognized something. Um, I ended up um, being what's called a platoon guide, 
which we kind of have in um, the academy. Mm-hmm. Ours would be called the CO. Right. So I was the platoon guide. And, you know, um, immediately after graduating, I knew I was like, you know what? I want to do this full time. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, all right, boom. I'm going to start my paperwork. They, they gave me, um, I graduated with what's called um, Cavalry uh, and Excellence. Okay. Um, so they, they wrote me a referral letter and everything. They're like, yeah, you need to do this full time. Like, this is you. And I was like, I was all with it. I was like, yeah, you know, this is all me. This, And so I came home and um, I started the process again to transfer over to active duty. And then 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I learned, I'm like, oh, you can get activated. Yeah, you got to go. You know, um, now normally the difference back then was you had the active duty army who, if any wars broke out, any conflicts, they send them. Mm -hmm. Then you had the army reserves, Mm -hmm. which are just that. They're the reserves for the active duty component. Then you had the army national guard, Mm -hmm. which protects each individual state has their own national guard. Mm -hmm. So you never really left your state. We were mostly used for um, state emergencies mm-hmm. gotcha. or riots, anything right, that right. happened within the state, call up the National Guard. Mm-hmm. But after 9-11, the whole dynamic changed because once we end up going to war, we were losing so many people and so much um, injuries and PTSD and everything that started to build up so much that the forces were getting depleted and they just needed a break. Mm-hmm. So then that's when they started mobilizing National Guard units, which was at that given time, let me tell you, I would go to drill and drill would be, all right, let's train up on this for like four or five hours. All right, now let's drink. That's and how it was. That prior pre, to not, pre-9-11. Yeah. Right, okay. You would go to drill and hang out. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, you, you train a little bit here and then just start drinking mm-hmm. and, and hang out. And then what ended up happening after 9-11, all that went away. Like, like literally all the bars went dry in, in your armory for the most part because the training, now you had to take a, a, a National Guard unit, which they called Nasty Girls, NG, and, yeah, NG, um, and train them up to be able to be level with an active duty component. Just in case they had to be deployed. Just in case you had to be deployed. And the deployments never stopped. I mean, my first 10 years in the National Guard, I was deployed eight out of the 10 years. Wow. All to various different missions. So um, the training never stopped. It never stopped. It, it was just completely different. Um, it became serious. Oh, no. Yeah, it became very serious. So, okay. So you you um, become a National Guard um, and is that all you chose to do? Is that, are you still... Um, in armed forces, do you have another occupation? Like yeah, so um, May May eleventh will be my twentieth year in the army. Okay, and um, I believe I'm hanging my boots up. So yeah, that's a, yeah, I think I think it's uh, I think it's time. Um, but um, yes, yeah, so I was a store manager <laughs> for a shoe company. Um. It was in, they had a store in Short Hills. Um, then they had one in Bridgewater. And then I worked in Rockaway too. Uh, Overland Trading Company was the name of the uh, Oh, I remember that. The, the shoe store. So I was, I came back from the Army. Uh, this, this, <laughs> this is funny, but this is very true. So before I left, I was the assistant manager. Uh-huh. And I was sleeping with the store manager. 
Okay. And then, so while I was away, I was writing her. And she was writing me back. And she pretty much set me up to take over the store when I came back, nice. which is what happened. She moved on to, at the time, it was a brand new company called. Let's not say the company. Build a Bear. Oh, shit. Oh, nice. Brand new company nice. at the time. Uh -huh. So she moved over there to manage their store. And, and gave me spot gave me the, the spot. Position. Yeah, so so here I am. I'm I'm 18 years old, living home with mom, and I believe I was making like take home was like thirteen hundred dollars every two weeks salary mm. for me at 18 mm -hmm. living at home with mom. You're rich, rich. Oh my god, I was in there, I was in the strip clubs every day. Oh, it was a, it was amazing, <laughs> but um, so, it was amazing. So on, honest to God, um, I was one hell of a uh, salesman because I started off doing stock for the company mm -hmm. and uh, within a couple months I was a sales associate and uh, you know which was nice because you get commission mm -hmm. and I, I would smash everybody in the store and not, not that way but you know in mm -hmm. sales sales right but um, so it was a point in time where I'm like you know what I'm gonna be a regional manager mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna work my way up and I'm, I'm gonna end up you know at the top and that came to a quick halt when the company uh, went bankrupt. Mm. And so I was like, I was devastated. And now here I am. And the craziest part was that I could not get a job. Mm -hmm. it, it was impossible for me to find a job because every time I submitted my resume, and at that point, like, you know, I was attempting, first of all, store managers are not a dime a dozen because the, the position they're usually filled and they they fill quickly. Mm -hmm. So no one was hiring for a store manager. And then, um, you know, at that point, I'm like, listen, I'll take any position. And I've yeah. had people tell me, no, I'm sorry, you're overqualified. Oh, that that's really a thing, huh? Yeah, that's really yeah. a thing. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, and it got to the point where, you know, I was obviously I was on unemployment and all I wanted to do was work. And I'm like, I remember going to um, another store called the, uh, the shoe department. I know that store. You know, know the store? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're still around. Oh, um, they have one in uh, Jersey Gardens Mall. It's called the shoe department. Yeah, next to Guess on the top floor. Mm. It's called the shoe department. But um, so now I, I remember, and uh, the store manager at the time, he was uh, battling some health issues, right? And I remember him interviewing me, and he was giving me the same thing. Like, listen, man, you're just like way overqualified. I said, listen, at this point, I just, just need a job. give me a job. Right. I'm like, listen, don't worry about my qualifications. Consider it a bonus to you guys. And so, you know, he was like, all right, cool. He gave me the job as a sales associate. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that that job, you know, that held me down for a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, what ended up happening with that, he went out on medical and uh, we ended up getting a new store manager mm -hmm. who bought his assistant manager. Long story short, they, they were stealing from the company, doing all this wild stuff. And so um, I was sleeping with one of the uh, sales associates in the stock room a couple times. And uh, when they came in to investigate them, you know, they, they put in cameras. They they pretended that there was cameras. So they, they <laughs> brought every uh, associate in to kind of like interrogate them, like to see if they knew what was going on with, this, with the stealing. With those guys, right. And she just like went in. Cause they made it seem like they knew they were watching. Yeah, so she was like, "Yeah, uh, me and you know, oh, I was man. sleeping with uh, Andres and all." So yeah, we ended up being fired. Um, 
So are you still on unemployment? <laughs> no, I'm not on unemployment. Okay, so what do you do now? I'm a detective. <laughs> okay. So how did you get to becoming a detective? So what made you even so, take that? Um, like I said, my first um, eight out of 10 years uh-huh. um, in the National Guard, I was on uh, orders. Mm-hmm. So orders are usually one year minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent two years in Iraq um, fighting the war out there for two years straight. But um, it was at that time um, in 07 when I, when I came home, they offered me a position uh, with combatives mm-hmm. as, as, as a combatives instructor, mm-hmm. which I had no idea what it was. It was a program when you come back from overseas, the Army wanted you to use your experience to help teach the new guys that were going over. Right. They was like, oh, what's your MOS? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm a scout. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, that's combat arms, right? I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh, we got a great job for you, combatives. I'm like, what the fuck is that? When they told me it was the Army's self-defense or fighting technique, I really wasn't interested. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know that. How the hell can, if I don't know it, how the hell am I going to benefit somebody else? Right. But they was like, listen, we're going to certify you. You're going to go through the classes. You're going to get certified, and then you could just teach it. So... They was like, just give it a shot. If you don't like it, we'll, we'll find something else. So I gave it a shot, immediately fell in love with it. Um, my wrestling came in, in in hand like you wouldn't believe. And now here I am teaching, deploying soldiers, um, fighting techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was supposed to be a two-year assignment. But because um, what they call it, the Army has a clock. You can only be on active duty if you're a guardsman, mm-hmm. but for so long in a five-year break. And I basically busted my clock. So they had to cut my order short. So from 07 to 08, I was doing combatives. But okay. at that same time, I was like, you know what? I got a couple boys that keep telling me about the 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 the, the PD. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my boys, Mike Myers, shout out to him. I went to high school with him. You know, he was a cop. And I was like, you know what? Let, let me fill out this application. Mm-hmm. So in 08, um, the end of 08, I filled out the application. And then once that gig was over, I was on unemployment. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, man, right before my unemployment ran out, the PD called. Oh, that's dope. And um, I got to go on literally right before my unemployment uh, ran out. So then I started uh Perfect segue. Way. Which is yep. smooth transition. That's pretty dope. So you are Puerto Rican guy from the Bronx, right? Moved to Irvington, where it's predominantly black. Yes. Um. And then you make this decision to become a police officer, mm-hmm. right? Um, have you come across any backlash for choosing this particular position? Um, understanding like how the community with minorities feel about becoming a police officer? No, no, um, um, all support. More, yeah, more, I actually, oh. um, I caught more shock than anything. No one ever. They was like you. They was like no way. Um, and you know, again, mostly all my boys from the Bronx who I'm still boys with, mm-hmm. um, you know, at first they couldn't believe it, but then, you know, two of them are NYPD right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, um, I have a female family friend too. She's NYPD too. So no, it, it was just uh, honestly all love and respect. Everyone was happy for me. They was like, wow, man, I can see doing that because of the army. Mm. So I, I really didn't get no backlash. Um, I think sometimes too, um, your true friends kind of see it as a win for themselves. Like, damn, right. now somebody who knows my story. Right. I can go to somebody. I can 
I get a gold card. Bomb. I can get a, yeah, I can get a right. gold card. Get a gold card. I can call Drake's um, up. Yeah, they can use the benefits of it. So sometimes you, I, I can believe you do get that, like that support. Like yes, <laughs> somebody from my side. Mm-hmm. That's pretty dope. So, but so what do you say to people who associate um, law enforcement officers with like uh, plantation owners or or saying that it's associated with slavery and it's not good for our community and so so here's the thing, right? Um, a lot of people think that their eyes are open. Like they're woke? Yeah. Okay. But you're not. Un- until you're on the other side. Other side being? B- being being law enforcement. Okay. Un- until you're on the other side and you start to see things differently mm-hmm. or more so for what they really are and not what the media or your boys or your girls portray it to be. Mm-hmm. Then you start to really understand a lot of things. Um, Can you share something in particular, like something that you assumed or didn't know? And then once you crossed over and now you're in this new world, so to say, um, you you gain these new eyes and a different perspective and you're happy. Like it's different. Can you share um, something in particular? Well, I I, I can say this, right? So um, obviously racial profiling is a big thing, right? Right. Does racial profiling exist? Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, New York has been, you know, through through the, the, the sewer and back with it. Mm-hmm. But rightfully so, because New York is probably the biggest melting pot in the world. Mm-hmm. So if they're targeting, targeting a specific demographic, right, mm-hmm. that's what you're doing. But now if you flip that, right, and you utilize, say, Irvington, right? Okay. So this is a true stat. In 1980, Irvington was 80% white. Mm-hmm. And then the other 20% was mixed between uh, Hispanic, African-American, and whatever else. Mm-hmm. By 1991, Irvington was 80% African-American. Okay. Um, so now, if you look at Irvington, Irvington is still probably at least 75% African-American with, okay. a, with a stronger... Uh, influence now on uh, Hispanics. Okay. So when you go to Irvington, right, you're not going to see, for the most part, you're not going to see nothing but a minority. Okay. So when people in NYPD, not NYPD, but when people in NY um, say that all all cops are racially profiling, Mm -hmm. right? That's what you see on TV. That's what you see on social media. That's what you see on the news, whatever. So now you not being in law enforcement, but you're seeing all this, right? So now here you are getting pulled over or here you are getting stopped for, let's say, a legitimate reason. Mm-hmm. And it's me, right? Mm-hmm. Now, again, to me, I don't see black, white, Spanish, nothing. Right? I don't see that. That's mm-hmm. me personally. I don't see that. Mm-hmm. I'm pulling you over or I'm stopping you for a specific reason. Mm-hmm. But now you see me and the first thing you say is, oh, you profiling me. Oh, you this. Look. Why? I'm like, why? I'm, I'm, I'm a minority too. So they're easily influenced. And again, they don't understand that, well, I'm pulling you over because we just had three robberies in the last week with a black Honda Accord with silver rims. Mm-hmm. You driving a black Honda Accord with silver rims. I'm going to pull you over. 
Okay. They don't see that though. They're like, oh my God, wow, why are you pulling me over? Why are you pulling me over? That that you get that 99% of the time. Why are you pulling me over? I mean, I, I would think that that's an appropriate question to ask. Why are you being pulled over? Is that not? It is, but not. See, there, there's certain ways, right? So, like um, my son, my, my son is uh 17 now. Okay. So now he's, you know, he's learning how to drive and everything like that. Um, and you know, my biggest thing is I'm gonna teach him how to interact with police in a respectful manner. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, leave. There, there, there needs to never be no emotion. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. When when you allow your emotions to be seen and felt, you just change the dynamics of that encounter tremendously. Tremendously. Because guess what I'm doing? What are you doing? My job. Mm. That's all I'm doing. I'm and doing your emotions are left at home and it is not brought to work, correct? You have to because the second that you bring your emotions to work, you're probably mm-hmm. going to end up in jail. Do you or have you witnessed officers bringing their emotions to work? Uh, I would say yeah. Okay. Because it's... Uh, it's, yeah. it's We're human. I would correct. Say yeah. So I think just based off of what you said, it seems as if to me hearing it, um, there's an expectation for the civilian to remove something that is naturally within them, um, but that's also what's being done for the officer as well. Naturally, you're going to have emotion, but you're expecting them to remove the emotion off of the strength of respect. No, 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 no. No. Okay. Um, I think what, I think the, the point is, um, as a uh, piece of advice, mm-hmm. it's a piece of advice. So you work at Chipotle and you're going through some stuff at home. But you're in, you're at your job, so you got your job face on. So you're serving the steak the best way you can with mm-hmm. the smile, even though you're dying on the inside. Cool. Right. So now you're driving your car, you stop by a cop, go to work, mm-hmm. put your work face on. You might be going through something, but ha- handle it like it's your job, like it's a professional encounter. So remove emotion. Mm-hmm. In that moment, that's what he means. Not, mm-hmm. not don't be human. Of course, you're gonna be human. Yeah. But if it's a traffic stop and you think you're being stopped um, for no reason, don't start with that. Like, there's no reason to start with that. Just be aware of what you got going on. Hey, um, you know, because he's gonna tell you, he or she, they're gonna tell you why they stopped you. Mm-hmm. All you gotta do is wait, and then if if you now believe that it's not a legitimate reason. Still, like I always say, your win is not in that interaction. Mm-hmm. You can't really win there. So if this guy stops you and he says, your light, your tail lights out, you say, oh, oh, I didn't, I was unaware. Can I get out and see that my tail lights out? Sure, get out. Look at your tail light. It's out. Okay. Oh, shit, my tail lights out. Mm-hmm. That right there, that shock might make me the officer like, all right, well, get your tail light fixed, blah, 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 have a good night. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, my tail light's not out. You crazy? I just got this car. My tail light's not out. Da, da, da. Okay. All right. Well, sit tight. I'll be back. Thank you for listening to No Ops Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our tiny space, but we also hope you'll take two seconds out of your time to subscribe, like, comment, share, tell your friends, tell your community, go to work, let them know all about us. Until then, we'll see you on the next episode.